Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 14. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and you, he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself. As, his, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. May his truth be revealed to us. Church. Uh, my name is Stephen, one of the pastors at a city. And if you're new, you know, we have video and you're like, who are all these other people? <laughs> we have this church and we have Mineola, we have a Chinese congregation, and, and God is using us to really expand and to uh, you know, like really uh as much as possible bring the community together, diverse backgrounds, ethnicities, and so you know, um and that's part of our vision. Uh uh, let's see, uh Linda mentioned town hall. If you have questions about what this is all about, please come. And in a sense, uh, we're going to give kind of the state of uh, the church, you know, for the uh, as we approach the end of this year. A lot of exciting things are happening. We want to share that with you. All right. With that in mind, I want to uh, focus our attention on today's topic, which is uh, in John 4, talking about the woman at the well. So we finished the uh, Heaven series, and, 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 and right now we're just kind of jumping into the series that uh, Mineola has been doing, and so from now until um, towards Christmas, which is the Advent season, we're going to be talking about uh, the encounters with Jesus. And so um, today I want to talk about uh, the woman at the well. She encountered Jesus for the first time, and tremendous things happened. Those of you who know the story well, you know, you, you probably heard it many times, but I want to take a little different perspective uh, on, on just the conversation, the initial conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well, and we will learn a lot of amazing things. So, I mean, it's just fascinating. The fact that, you know, she, she, you know, it's like she meets one person for, I don't know how long the encounter was, but it literally changed her life, such that even 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. And we're digging into, you know, every word that was exchanged because there's something there. And I don't know about you, I've never met a person that changed me just like that. Uh, maybe some of you have that talent and uh, you can work your magic and there are only a few people who can do that. Uh, but this is the exchange that we've had. As I thought about that, years ago, in my generation, there was a comedian named Steve Martin. You know who he is? Oh, if you know him, another, another, another uh, quiz here. In 1992, he had a movie called uh, Leap of Faith. Have you seen that movie? 
Here, you cannot see that. You weren't even born. <laughs> but a lot of young people these days, they like to watch classic stuff. But anyway, Steve Martin, comedian, he wrote a, uh, well, he was, um, you know, you know, like these comedians, what's interesting is they become, they do a lot of serious movies afterwards. But anyway, there's a movie called Leap of Faith. And I still remember seeing this. Um, I don't know why, but he plays a, char a character called Jonas. And Jonas is a faith healer. In fact, he's a con artist. <laughs> he is a charlatan. And his, his thing is to go to small towns and trick people uh, to thinking that he's a man of God and get all their money, and he leaves. So it, what, it, the way it begins, this movie, uh, he, uh, you know, his entourage, his tr all the trucks come into a small town, and they weren't planning on being in this town, but the truck broke down. And so as they were figuring out what to do, the sheriff came along and asking what's going on. So Steve Martin, well, Jonas, the character that he plays, gets into the uh, sheriff's car, and within minutes... He's like dissecting his life, and he had the sheriff crying and, and just like almost giving his life to Jesus almost. And, and it's like, how does he do that, you know? Because if you look at the movie, what you find is that I told you that Jonas is a fraud. But the reason why he's so good is because he used this God's gift that you and I have called the power of imagination. No, no, not imagination. Observation. Because <laughs> what he did was, was when he was in the patrol car, you know, he saw the picture of his kids and his wife and maybe... Uh, there was an issue going on, and he had little trinkets there. And, 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 and as he was talking to the sheriff, he just kind of, through observation, put his life together. And this sheriff was in a crisis, and he was able to bring him to his knees. <laughs> that was an interesting part of that, that movie. But here's, here's really what really got, got me. At the end of the movie... Uh, as he went to this town, there was a kid who had this disease. I think he was paraplegic. He didn't walk. But he really believed in this guy. He really believed that God could heal him. And, of course, he would have uh, all these uh, tent meetings. And one day this, this kid uh, uh, wanted to come, and he wanted uh, Jonas to pray for him. During the whole uh, series of the movies, Jonas, Jonas got with this kid, and he really liked him. And Jonas knew he was a fraud, so he was like, kid, don't, you know, don't come to this meeting because, you know, I don't want to spoil you, man. I don't want to, you know, uh, whatever faith you have, I don't want to kill it. But he comes, and at this, you know, public meeting, Jonas is doing his thing, all fake stuff. And he comes on the side. And what does he have to do? He has to pray, and he prays for him. And guess what happened to that kid? He gets healed. And what Jonas did was he realized something strange and something uh, genuine happened. And so at the end of the movie, he packs up his thing and he just leaves. He says, I'm not doing this anymore. I bring up that story because in a similar way, like Jonas, here is Jesus coming into town to Samaria with his entourage, his caravan of 12 men. He comes to this Samaria, this place where he should not be. But unlike Jonas from this movie, this Jesus, he's real. And, and, and in an encounter, he really changes the dynamics and he changes that person whom she was not even expecting to, you know, even change. But this is the story that, that we uh, have read. We didn't read the whole section because it's really long and really involved. But, but I want to get to the section of the conversation because in it, um, uh, this conversation between two strangers, if you will, here's Jesus. 
And then here's this woman who's still nameless. We don't even know her name, but we know uh, who she is. And this dramatic conversation, not only they change her, but there's something in there that can absolutely change us as well. All right? But, you know, before that happens, she's, she's so jaded, we find out. She has to uh, go beyond the layers of, you know, uh, not trusting people and authority and so forth. But through that conversation, it does happen. So the question that I have is then how does Jesus, because he's the real deal, all right? How does Jesus take this woman from the well from the first encounter as strangers and at the end of the story, she becomes a committed follower of Jesus and eventually become a member of his kingdom? How does that happen? All right. Uh, all right. So you have this outline? Three things. All right. I want to do this progress. From the perspective of, I guess, that question of, especially from the woman's perspective, you know, move going from being strangers and then in that conversation, she becomes open and ultimately she becomes committed. So there's three processes here that I want to talk about, all right? So we begin here, uh, actually, in the conversation in verse 7, all right? Um, again, she, this woman is doing her thing, and she all of a sudden meets Jesus in the middle of the day, and uh, this conversation happens. Now, most of us are not able to talk to strangers unless that's your job. Or maybe you actually like people. You go to anyone, you have a great conversation. Some people are like that. But most people are not. And this woman is no exception. She's minding her own business, just getting water, because that's what you do in the first century to live. You need water. You got to go to the well. And while she's there, there's Jesus. There's a man just sitting there. And, and, he, and it says here in verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. This is what starts everything. Jesus is not a, you know, he, he requests a stranger for a drink. Now, you look at that, and you need to understand one thing. What Jesus has done here is not typical, all right? How do we know that? Now, because today, if you see, you know, a man and a woman speaking or talking in public, strangers they don't know, that is typical, and this is what we do in our culture. But in the context of this passage, uh, we know that's not typical because there's a parenthesis here, particularly in verse 9. There's the first parenthesis saying, remember the entourage that I told you that they weren't there because they went to go buy food? But then... In this, to, to illustrate the context in verse 9, there's a parenthesis that says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That's a big parenthesis, which says that, that not only a Jew speaking to a Samaritan, much less a man speaking to a woman in that context, was atypical. It's not what you do. It's not a social norm. In fact, that is going against social norms. So this here's Jesus as strangers, all right? And, and, and in that parenthesis, it shows also, and, and I'm not going to go into this, but there are historical reasons why the Jews and the Samaritans are separate, why they do not interact with one another, why they are biased against each other. And so, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, do, do, you show, do you have this map? I want to show you this map if I can have time. Because the way, because the Jews and Samaritans are so isolated, 
Uh, it says here actually in verse 1 and so forth that Jesus was going from Judea to Galilee. And if you see that map, Judea is down in the southern part where Jerusalem is. And to get to Galilee, this is a natural route. You just go through Samaria because Samaria is the town that, you know, is sandwiched in between. But because the parenthesis tells us they're so hated that they don't mix, what people usually do is going from Jerusalem. You know what they do? There's a thing called Jordan River. They would go to the east side of the Jordan River, and they would go all the way around, and they have to traverse back west towards Jordan River to get to Galilee. So it's like a really a long way back, long, long way to get there, and it's just annoying. And that's how all the Jews do, because they didn't want to go through Samaria. But here's Jesus. He just goes straight through, and everything is absolutely intentional. Well, here's, here's the point about being strangers. Being, being typical, all right, which means don't go to Samaria, don't talk to strangers, don't do this, don't do that. Being typical in this context will keep people estranged. Certainly the, uh, the fact that this woman has to meet with Jesus should be estranged. It should not have happened, typically. If you think about that, um, you know, the typical things that we do in our culture, uh, if we just follow the norms all the time, and without really thinking about it, it will continue to keep us estranged. If some of you have been in neighborhoods for maybe 5, 10, 20 decades, and, um, but do you know your neighbors? <laughs> You've probably seen them for 20 years to say hi, probably get his name. Hi, Bob. Actually, one of my neighbors actually is Bob. <laughs> Hi, Bob. And he says, Hi, Steve. And that's all we do, you know. I've been there for about only a few years. And if I don't get to know him, it's going to be like that, right? Uh, how about your coworkers? Some of you have been in jobs for a long time. Do you really know them? Or are you still continue to be estranged? I mean, this is, this is our culture. We know each other, but we don't really know each other, you know? Because that's a typical thing that our culture says, right? But if we continue to do typical things, especially with one another, it will keep us estranged. And listen, as long as we're typical with the relationships with one another, we're going to remain strangers, even at church. You know, you say, well, you know, I've known you for years and years, but I don't really know you. And that is typical in a church and, 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 and all the other places that we spend our time. And if it is true with one another, how much more it is with Jesus, if we are, have a typical relationship with him. And this is what I'm trying to say. If your view of Jesus is typical, just like the way we do typical relationships with each other, here's the thing. You will not be attracted to him. Because you know why? You won't know him as he is who truly is. So in this conversation, here's what I see. However... If there's a break in your relationship with him from being typical to be atypical such that uh, your understanding of him uh, goes beyond so that he's not a stranger to you anymore in a way, then you'll really get to know him. So why is Jesus a stranger to a lot of folks today? Even in church, you know, we come in and out of church and we don't really know who Jesus is. And why is that? Why don't people want to know Jesus as the king, 
as a Savior, as a Lord of our lives. Why don't we do that in the evangelical church? I don't know. There's a lot of reasons. But, you know, uh, those of you who are New Yorkers, maybe you've heard that Jesus is about God, country, particularly only the American flag, and guns. Have you heard that? <laughs> As a New Yorker, you're like, oh, I'm not sure if I like that kind of Jesus. If that is the only Jesus that's portrayed in America, I'm not really sure, especially if I'm an immigrant, right? Maybe, maybe um, you hear that Jesus cannot defend himself in school and universities because science and, and evolution and all these kinds of things are being taught, and then Jesus doesn't have an answer or comeback, and so you assume he doesn't have any brains, so you keep yourself estranged from Jesus because he doesn't know anything, right? Or maybe you've been told that Jesus can never accept a, a person like you because you're so bad. You've done things that you can't even forgive yourself. And you've been told that Jesus only loves good people. And you're like, well, I'm not that. And you can go on and on to multiply all that. And you see that the culture's narrative about Jesus has been contaminate, contaminated. And that's why we, most people, just remain afar. May, they, they may be attracted to him, but they don't want to get close to him. And so therefore, Jesus is still a stranger to many folks, even at church. The woman here in our story only uh, knows uh, typical in her life. All her life that she's living as we piece her life together. In her culture, in her community, in her village, she's constantly been marginalized because she violated the social norms of fidelity in, in, in her community. And so, so she only knows typical. And yet she looks at Jesus and she treats him in a typical way and she approaches Jesus to suggest that she and him should remain strangers because that's all she knows. But again, my point here in the first point is that Jesus is not typical and he does not play that game. You have to understand, a lot of us have a misunderstanding of who Jesus really is because Jesus is not interested in being typical, and he is not content with leaving everyone strangers to him. So what does he do? That's our reaction to Jesus. But what does Jesus do? What he does here in this conversation is he pushes back. Isn't that interesting? You may have no interest in him, or you may think he's, you know, have a perception about him that, that doesn't draw you to him. That's fine, because our culture has done that. That's fine. But this is what Jesus does. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, but Jesus pushes back and he says, if you knew the gift of God and who, is, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, because that's how conversation started, he said, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That's how he pushed back. And in fact, um, he knows. Jesus knows that she's comfortable in her just getting regular water. Jesus knows our comfort level, that he knows the reason why we're you know, pushing our way against him. He knows all that. But what he does here, is in a, in a gentle and, and even a surprising way, what he does is in this conversation, he masterfully takes this typical situation, Right? And what he does is he turns it around and he moves the conversation from water, thirst, 
to a spiritual conversation of living water. And he throws that in there. It's just it's, it's amazing. There's a lot here in this verse 10. But here's, here's the thing. If you have a typical view of Jesus, which, which you know, you come to church and you're like, and you kind of do your own thing, you're not interested, or maybe you've heard different things about Jesus and all that, and he's, and he's not getting into your heart, what do you do then? Hmm? And, and those of you who have loved ones and relatives, spouses, you know, children, neighbors, I mean, you people, you have people that, that you are praying for to, to come to know him, and they're like, no, thank you. What do you do? We get that question all the time. And the answer, according to this text, is that let Jesus push them back a little bit. Does that make sense? In this culture, you're going to hear about Jesus in America because it's supposed to be God's country, I think. <laughs> Whether you're a believer or religious or not, you're going to hear something about Jesus. They may not all be convinced and believe it, and that's fine. But let Jesus push back on them with what he wants to say. All right, And whatever your situation is, Jesus wants to move you, because this is who he is. He wants to move you from being a stranger and to forge a committed relationship with him. That's his goal, and he'll do it. We can't, but he will. So how do we help people to get to know God? And in this conversation, Jesus says he'll do it. He will push back at the right time. So in number one, the point number one, what we see in this conversation is uh, he's not a, he, doesn't, he doesn't care uh, us to leave a strange, so he'll approach us, even though we don't like strangers, he'll come invade our lives, he'll ask for water. He'll meet us where we desperately are in need. Water is symbolism for whatever is in your heart right now, all right? And then what he does is he says, I have something better than what you're looking for. That's going to quench your thirst or, or something that's going to, you think is going to satisfy your soul. I have something better. And for this woman, he says, I have living water for you. Isn't that cool? That's what Jesus does. So he, he would uh, uh, invade your private space. You know, you think, you know, uh, as a stranger, he wants to move beyond that. Then when he does that, point number two, then what he does is he begins to open her up. And I hope he opens up us as well. All right. So we're now with this invitation, all right, about living water. Now the conversation is happening. Jesus opens her up for being a stranger to being open to this intriguing way. Again, in the way he pushes back on her, it didn't, it didn't close her up and say, get away from me, but it in fact drew her a little bit more. That's what he's doing here. His pushback friends, is always gentle, is always artful, is always exactly what they and others need, because the purpose for him is to open up more inquiry for dialogue, all right? And let me tell you something, this is the key to move, uh, to move uh, for Jesus to be a stranger to ultimately committing your life to him. And that openness, he does. So Jesus was talking about living water. Again, a metaphor for eternal life. And that was the cue that piqued her interest because that was her need. Let's think about it 
her for a little bit more. What made her interested in the living water was that her life and her herself was salty. Have you ever called, have you ever heard that term? Have you, have you ever been told that you're salty? Is that a good or a bad term? That's a slang, right? <laughs> this past week, I was talking to some people and said, describe someone. I said, do you know such and such? And this person said, yeah, he's salty. I'm like, hmm, what does that mean? <laughs> so I Googled it. <laughs> if someone ever called you salty, that means your personality is that you're a bit bitter, or maybe you're angry, or maybe you're just irritated, right? Maybe just you just take things too hard. You know, it's just got that tough exterior, okay? And, and you just show it to everyone. That's, that's what salty means. And if you think about her a little bit, this woman at the well, nameless woman at the well, her life is salty. Emotionally, her life was salty because think about this. Every day, uh, there's drama. It's a small little town in, in the town of Samaria, and, and she's seeking relief. She's just tired of gossip and people just looking down at her, judging her every time she goes out for anything. So, 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 so she, emotionally, she's wounded. And so, of course, she's salty because she's seeking relief to come at noontime, the hottest day when no one is around the well, just to get some water, just to get away from people. Spiritually, she's salty because all her emotions created something more. You know, she's religious, but it's not doing anything for her. So she has a spiritual thirst because salt causes thirst. Physically, her, her, her salty life, uh, you know, made her come to literally draw water because that's what she needs for sustenance. Again, the hottest part of the day. Physically, she's tired. She's, she has to carry this bucket of water by herself back to town. Whereas if you come during the day, the whole community helps each other carry water. She hates coming there alone. Physically, she's exhausted. Of course, she's salty, right? Think about her. This is who she is. And she doesn't want to meet another stranger. She's trying to get away from people. But, and she's trying to conceal her life and in her encounter with Jesus. And yet, and yet, she's very intrigued with what Jesus did. And, and he is gently and lovingly exposing her soul. So that's why uh, after he pushes back a little bit, the second conversation in verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. So she's talking about this physical uh, uh, water and all that. But then, but then there's a period and there's another sentence that says, where do you get that living water? I mean, she goes from one conversation and all of a sudden, it's very intrigued. You know, something about living water. And again, if you know anything about salt, oh, I'm getting thirsty now, just thinking about it. <laughs> you get thirsty. <laughs> she knows She's thirsty. She's salty. Jesus knows that she is so thirsty. But how does she, how does, how does she let Jesus know that she's interested? You know, she kind of lays it out there. And, I'm, and I just want to say there for so many who hear about Jesus today, but have left him at Strangers Bay. How are they going to reach out? And how are they going to 
receive what Jesus is offering. You know, a lot of people, they may have heard about Jesus or, or they may be ashamed to come back to church or maybe are so salty in their own life and there's nothing they think that Jesus could give. How do they come to church? It's such a humiliating kind of thing. But, but where's that bridge? Well, as you think about these people, right? Um, again, what, what does Jesus do? He responds again. Look at, and here's the answer in how that happens. Look at verse 13. Uh, what does verse 13 say? I mean, I gotta get new glasses. I can't see with my <laughs> And then he goes into a dialogue, okay? Wasn't really talking about living water. Or, you know, she, there's an inquiry. And those people that are around your life, like how, how are they really going to get connected to Jesus? He will connect them in, in, in some ways. And the way he connected with this woman, Jesus is saying, in summary, verse 13, 14, he says, I have something for you that is as basic and necessary to you spiritually as water it is to you physically. I have something for you. Yes, that's what you need, but I have something better. And what Jesus is offering is something to satisfy, not just externally so that, so that you think that's the only need that you have, but he says, once you get that, I have something from the inside that's going to satisfy you internally. You see, this deep soul satisfaction in our culture we call happiness, that's true happiness comes from inside welling up outside to your life. He says, I can give you that. And I tell you, friends, a lot of people are looking for that. They're looking all over the place. So being open to Jesus is to consider this quality of happiness that he is offering to the kind of happiness that people are pursuing on their own. You see, if you think about happiness, it's always something outside of you. That's what we're all looking for, you know, a perfect date or marry, marrying the perfect person, right? Love or make, getting the right career. And if you get the right career, you, you make a lot of money. So it's all these things are external kinds of things. And we think that once we get it, we get happiness. And they're great things. But Jesus says, I want you to have that. I want you to be blessed. But Jesus knows, because he knows our hearts, that those things cannot satisfy what? the deepest thirst and the soul thirst that we have inside of us. He knows that. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that too, you know? And, uh, you know, some of you have your dreams that, and it's been fulfilled. And then you realize, is there something more? <laughs> and so if you don't know that by now, you're going to keep chasing it, and it's going to be ad nauseum of exhaustion. And maybe you'll get to a point you say, then there's something more. Yeah. You know, and, and so we, we get that, and that's part of our culture and society right now, right? You know, um, we were at a conference this past week uh, with, with our staff and part of our denomination. And one of the speakers were alluding how, um, how, the, how we should reach the next generation. And all of you who have kids and teenagers, you're like, yeah, <laughs> tell me how to reach our next generation, all right? And, uh, uh, and the speaker mentioned that we have parents who love Jesus and, and they passionately want to pass down their faith to their children, uh, to their teenagers and to the youth. And, and that's true. I have kids. That's exactly what I want to do as well. So how do you do that? And the speaker's suggestion was to teach 
the faith, right? Live it out at home and bring them to church. Do your best. Do all these kinds of things. But in a season, there will be a period of doubt in your, our children and college students and so forth. And there will be questions. And maybe they grew up going to Awana and children's ministry and all that. And then they say, um, Mommy and Daddy, I don't believe this anymore. I don't know, right? These things usually happen. They have questions and unbelief. And everything the church taught you and that you taught them and you pray for them, and they're just dismissing all that. And you know what the suggestion was from the speaker? He says to parents, and listen very carefully, this is so atypical. That's why I like what he said. He says, give them space. What? <laughs> he says, give them space. In other words, in this context... Let Jesus respond to them. And here's the caveat, when they become thirsty, okay? You can't give someone food and water if they're not hungry or thirsty. It's just going to nauseate them, and they're never coming back. However, give them space. You've done your foundation, give them space. And as they explore different kinds of things, they will be thirsty. Parents, he said, parents, don't jump in and force them to go to Bible study or to church and force them to come and learn about Jesus and indoctrinate them and all that kind of stuff because that's very typical of what we do because that's just a knee-jerk reaction, isn't it? We get calls all the time. Here, <laughs> she's our youth director. Go save them. They don't say that. Don't they? But that's the implication. <laughs> it's like, you got to do it, you know? He was like, I love to, but I'm not Jesus. Anyway, I'm not going to speak for her. <laughs> but, but here's my point and what this speaker is saying. When Jesus becomes a stranger to your children, teenagers, college students, to your spouse, even to yourself maybe, maybe you're not really getting Jesus stuff. When he becomes a stranger, you're like, I'm not believing this stuff anymore. All right? Um, no one thing. Uh, no one can give you that faith to believe that. No one can do that. However, if you heed what people are, what this pastor is saying, by giving them space, and, and even for you, if you're not really believing, don't force yourself to pray and believe the stuff. And, you know, but, but give space in a way so that when you find that Jesus comes and he'll come to you in the most atypical way, the way you never expected, and it'll stick. And I was thinking about this, and then and I was, and a lot of people asked me, um, when did you decide to, you know, give your life and, and go to the ministry? Because, you know, if you're a good Asian uh, kid in an immigrant family, you're supposed to be a doctor. <laughs> so ever since I was seven years old, I was supposed to be a doctor. And it's like, um, and there's nothing wrong with doctors. They're lovely people, but I was supposed to be one. So it's like, how do you, how do you give that up and, and, and uh, be a poor minister. <laughs> and, you know, no one wants to be a poor minister. But, you know, I was thinking in college, um, I got, I became converted. I got introduced to Jesus in, in when, first year of college. Darn it. <laughs> so I can't do whatever I want. So I started going to church and stuff. And I was still trying to figure out Jesus thing. And, um, and the most amazing thing happened. In one of my classes, I... Um, of course, I had to do biology because I was supposed to be a doctor. But then I did a side thing of biochemistry, which is even more geekier, but I love that. 
<laughs> I've had to work in lab all my life. But in one of my biochemistry class, oh my gosh, this sounds so geeky, but I have to tell you this because this, this, this teacher who was talking rah, 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 like that, he was describing uh, enzyme and substrate, and I'm just remembering what happened. And, 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 and you know, biochemistry is all about this molecular level and it put all these proteins up there and 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 how because of this charge and and then all of a sudden this shapes this and that's the reason why the substrate comes in that's why you have a new compound and i said oh my gosh god is real <laughs> i said wow only a creator can make this happen and, and in my mind there was a dance there was a movie playing among the biochemistry in our bodies and how an enzyme breaks up carbohydrates, right? And, and it works so beautifully, fluid, and like, my gosh, only God could do this. I was hooked. <laughs> so when it was time to leave uh, whatever I had to do and follow Jesus and even to be a minister, I said, give me more of that. Give me that living water. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, time is escaping. Listen. When you give Jesus space and, 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 and that person who you're thinking about is now open to the gospel, he will come in a way you would never expect. And we could never, ever figure this out. But when he does, verse 15, she says, what's, what's verse, verse The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. <laughs> give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. There's a lot more to this story, but um, everything she put in, she just remembers. She, everything she put in in her relationships have failed her. She's going for a number six husband, and that's going to fail her too probably. She knows the good reputation she wanted in her own town, uh, it failed her too, and she'll never get it. She wants friends. She wants to be happy externally, but she has no friends. She's tired. She's not happy. That's her life. And the reason why all the other things, um, she puts all that around her. And, and for us, for all of us, if we're looking for everything else but Jesus, if we look to our career, and, and if it fails you, you know, what, you know what it will do? It will punish you. It will destroy you with self-loathing and shame. If, you, if your reputation is damaged, it's not going to let you go. It's going to constantly rewind this tape to say, aha. You're nothing, and it's never going to let you go. This, this is called idolatry. Whatever we worship besides God, which is idols, is going to punish you if you fail it. And that's why this, you'll never achieve happiness in that way. But if Jesus is the only Savior that is the center of all that you do in your life, and he is the essence of your relationship, and here's the thing, and even if you fail him, and we do, we sin, we may have turned to the left, left turn and, and not, not want to come back, but that's okay. Because even if you fail him with all the promises you made, guess what? This is the only idol, which is the real idol, that's not going to punish you for failing him. What he does is that he will forgive you. Isn't that amazing? You fail all your idols. They're going to punish you until you're depressed and you cure yourself. But, you feel the only idol that is worth worshiping, that's Jesus, he'll forgive you. He'll say, come back. And, he, and, and, and everything that you ever sought after will be restored. In verse 39, 
kind of towards the end of this story. Many Samaritans from that town believed him because of what? The woman's testimony. She said, he told me all that I ever did, and on and on. She probably, and then she shared the gospel as well. Isn't that amazing? So she got committed. This is what happened to a stranger. In, in several conversations, she was sold out. So guys, oh boy, God wants to meet us. He doesn't want us to remain strangers. He doesn't want the people that you love to be estranged from him too. They're going to come. You don't have to worry. God is going to do it. Continue to pray for them. He'll, he'll bring you back. I know he will. And he'll do it in his own way, in the only way that would fit their language because they have different uh, thirsts. And God will bring that back. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that in Jesus' name, that you not only love us, but you care for us, and you are going to bring us back to you. I pray, Father, that, that your glory, your grace, your forgiveness, even though we run away, God, that your forgiveness will draw us back to you. So, Lord, uh, help us to follow after you. Help us to know that we are thirsty, and only you can quench our thirst. Bring that to us today. In Jesus' name we pray.